You've just been listening to... This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. Chosen by independent booksellers as the best debut novel. So, Suzanne, congratulations and welcome to Published or Not. Thank you, Jan. It's a pleasure to be with you. That's that's a big award to win on your first book in. Well done. Look, Allegra. From the title, Allegra in Three Parts, well, Allegra may be a bit of a distortion of the musical term Allegro, just as love is a little distorted in this book too. Allegra knows that she is loved, but in three parts, who is Allegra and who loves her? So Allegra is a delightful, quirky 11-and-a-half-year-old at the beginning of my book, and she is being read by three adults, um, two very different grandmothers who live next door to one another but have absolutely nothing to do with each other. In fact, they don't speak. And her father, Rick, who lives out the back uh, in the garage or in a flat above the garage. And these three adults cherish Allegra but they do not speak to one another. So she has to um, orbit their three adult worlds, uh, hence the title Allegra in Three Parts. One of these grandmothers, Mathilde, she um, she actually would do very well right now, wouldn't she, with all her home produce? Well, she would. She would indeed. And in fact, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot recently with the situation that we all find ourselves in um, with, you know, post-COVID-19. But of course, I wrote this book some time ago um, and could never have forecast what we'd be living through now. But Mathilde is a Holocaust survivor. She's a Hungarian Holocaust survivor. And she um, she delivers her love to Allegra in very practical ways. So for her, it's all about um, her her sort of providing of food and meals. Every meal's you know bang on time. So dinner's always six o'clock on the dot, and she is um, always you know dusting and mending and 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 taking care of the home she has a vegetable garden she has three chooks three hen layers um and which are, one thing i just love their names these three chooks scrambled boiled and omelet oh, just... <laughs> but of course that they're not names that matilda's given the chook she would think that's complete nonsense oh, they're names that allegra has as a private joke with her father rick um and, you know, decides never to share those with Mathilde. But Mathilde is really ambitious for Allegra that she should become a doctor. And, um, and you know, pr- piano practice must be done every day. Times tables are heard. So her love is delivered in a very particular way. And like chalk and cheese, there's Grandmother Joy, who is so vivacious, so uh, out there, so demonstrative with love. and But she does have... She bottles up her emotions in more ways than one. How to explain how she bottles her emotions? Well, Joy keeps every tear that she's ever shed in little glass bottles that she dates and labels and keeps in her um, conservatory or her glass house. So she talks about um, literally dusting her emotions. Oh, yes. So every. Well, and, and, and there's one called Elation 1962. Can you can remember what what she kept that one for? Well, that was the day that Allegra was born. So she yeah. talks about, you know, 
different um, different days, different times in her life and the tears that she shed and they go into these little glass bottles and she, she keeps them and um, this, takes this, the leg with through them. And this gives us a time frame because, you know, if, if that bottle was named 62 when we know that Allegra is now just over 11 years old, we know that this book is set back in the 70s, 1970s. And, uh, well, Allegra in grade six, that's where it starts. And she has always felt like an outsider. Why would a young girl always feel like an outsider? Well, I guess um, in many ways she's naive, but in other ways she because she's been very much part of three different adult worlds, she's quite um, able, as often actually 11 and a half year olds are, to be on one given day at a particular time incredibly uh, naive and then swing to a wisdom that can be quite breathtaking. Um, and that's how she operates in, mm. in the home or well, between the three homes that she, she sort of finds herself living um between but then when she's at school she um she's the sort of kid she's very very bright um which often doesn't find favor with your peers mm. um and she feels that she has to kind of sometimes keep that hidden because there's the dreaded popular group oh, and Kimberly the... Kimberly from the popular group just gives so much grief to poor Allegra and I almost quite... makes it her daily her daily oh. habit of of you know pushing Allegra into the ground. A quote from the book uh, when um, Allegra is talking about this Kimberly, who can suck the happiness out of me with a quick look or comment. And she says, you know, that the Allegra shouldn't buy the little statue of a mother and a child on the Mother's Day stall. She should leave it to someone who has a real mother, not a dead mother. What does Allegra know about a real mother? Well, she knows she's not around, um, but of course, as often happens in in the sort of wake of dreadful grief in families, it's you know the the kind of reasons for things are kept hidden from children, and and sh children are very good at picking up on what's not said and picking up on what not to say. So essentially, Allegra's mother is off the scene, and she she doesn't know why, um, and but. She, she knows not to raise that with either grandmother or even her father. Mm. Look, there's a time when every young girl looks for a mother for help, and it's often the first period. And Allegra's at a Catholic school, and Sister Josepha is very understanding. But once again, what were the contrasting ways her grandmothers dealt with this? Well, neither of them had actually prepared Allegra for that. I, I mean, you know, as can happen um, when there are a number of primary carers, um, sometimes, you know, one might assume that the other has something covered. And, of course, neither grandmother had, had raised it with mm -hmm. Allegra what, uh, what was likely to happen in the, in the coming time. So the period is a, is a terrible shock to Allegra. And, um, and Sister Joseph, it happens at school, so Sister Josepha kindly takes in things in hand and then sends Allegra home with a note and said, your grandmother will explain it all to you. So Mathilde um, is, is, you know, a Jewish um, and, and she does something that is actually quite quite brutal, but it's an old Jewish custom. So when Allegra hands over the note, uh, she's waiting for Mathilde to explain to her, you know, what's actually happened. And instead, she swiftly slaps Allegra across the face 
and um, and that is an old Jewish custom, where whereby the the newly fertile girl um, meant to you know have the sort of sense slapped into her about what might occur if she uh, if she steps sort of you know in the wrong direction. Um, and then by contrast, Joy, the other grandmother, who's a bit of a hippie, she's a bit kooky, she belongs to Liberty Club. And Liberty Club is one of the wonderful sort of consciousness-raising groups of women that were coming together in the 70s for, you know, women's libbers. And, um, and of course, for Joy, this is a moment of great celebration. Uh, and she wants to throw Allegra a party. <laughs> so the contrast couldn't be greater. And poor Allegra is there in the middle just, you know, stumped, wondering, what what is this? Is it something to be ashamed about or is it something to be celebrated? I thought that was just so good. Well, into grade six comes Patricia O'Brien. How did you create such a wonderful, delightful character? How did you build her? Well, I guess um, Patricia Patricia is um, a girl who's come into Allegra's life. She's moved around schools really because of her mother's situation. So Patricia's being reared by a single mother. And she she's um, a, an Aboriginal girl, but Allegra doesn't see that. And and as readers, we don't see it either, because um, children are they have to be taught to be racist. It's not something that children are naturally. You know, they don't look at people through racist eyes unless they're they're sort of um, encouraged to. So we as readers don't see Patricia's um, Indigenous background immediately. Anyway, she's the most, I, I don't know, I've got a few favourites in this, in this book in terms of characters, but I really, I just grew to love Patricia more and more as she kind of jumped out further to me in my mind and down on the page. But she she's a really great kid and she sees... I think she's a truth sayer. You know, she's she's a truth finder, a truth sayer. She has wisdom um, beyond her years, and it's often a wisdom that's come about through um, some difficult times in her life. But she's been well loved as as well as Allegra has too. So this book is largely how love is delivered, but the mm-hmm. friendship that's forged between. Patricia and Allegra, which Allegra des- describes as the colour of sunshine, is um, is something that you know. I know I've experienced myself that deep friendship from childhood that I I still carry today with me. Thankfully, in a couple of friendships, I I'm privileged enough to have, but well, a lot I, of people do. What you do see is that that. As you say, a favourite character, I thought she was mine too. Now, we talk about friendship. Grandma Joy, as you mentioned, had the Liberty Club and into this Liberty Club is Whiskey Wendy. And there's talk about sisterhood and setting up the the first woman's refuge. This reads happily true. You know, it's, it's so I think you've done your research here. Well, I have. Um, my background's actually in journalism, and for quite some time within that career, I was an investigative journalist. Um, so, yeah, research. I really enjoyed the research for the book. I, I kind of was lucky in that I enjoyed the research as much as I enjoyed the creative aspect to it. So I was fortunate in that Anne Summers, who, of course, was um, mm-hmm. instrumental in setting yeah. up the first women's refuge in Glebe, first one in Australia, um, she put me on to some women that were actually there 
there on the day when they <gasps> impromptuly, you know, kicked in the doors of a couple of uh, squat houses in Glebe and set up the uh, first women's refuge, which was called Elsie. So the events in the book are kind of a reimagining of, of what happened there. But there's a lot of a lot of what actually did happen is woven. And I, I, I love the the idea, the truer the facts, the better the fiction. And I've mm. tried to to carry that spirit into, you know, along with the book. Oh, well, this blends in when uh, Patricia talks about her stepfather or would-be stepfather and not in a very nice way. And then Patricia stops coming to school. So we get this hint of domestic violence and we, we sort of see the horribleness of the man who delivers sewing work to um, Allegra's grandmother, Matilde. But had... Allegra ever seen this this male exertion of power in her father? No, Rick, her father is largely um, a gentle character. I, I loved Rick as well. Some people found it really frustrating that he didn't kind of step up sooner. But, you know, you've got to stick with the book. I mean, I think Rick really comes into his own, um, particularly in the last third of the book. Mm. But he was also a product of that generation. I mean, in the 70s, men were often you know, a bit absent with regards to the rearing of children. And he's been through his own grief as well, um, through losing Allegra's mother, uh, you know. So, and he's been pushed out by these two very strong grandmothers who, you know, one of whom is his own mother. Anyway, there's a, a terrible event that, that is disclosed um, in the book that's meant that those three adults don't speak. But it's resulted in Rick really kind of, keeping to himself to a large extent until the stakes are raised and he really has to step in and, mm. um, and, and you know, be part of the true healing of the relationships. Allegra talks about him and says from the book, uh, Allegra in three parts, Rick doesn't put many words into the world. He says we have two ears and, two, and one mouth and we should talk less and listen more. Now, he, he gets involved with Allegra by taking her out on dawn patrol. What was that? So Rick is, he's a carpenter and a surfie and a good bloke. Um, and this book is set in Bondi in the 70s. And so Allegra doesn't even realise for quite some time that Rick is actually a bit of a surfie. So he gets up very early and does what's called dawn patrol. And um, again, with my investigative journalism hat on, I sought out um, lots of advice on surfing. And, so you did uh, research, you didn't do it yourself. <laughs> well, I did grow up, you know, having my fair share of time on an old uh, foamy board. Mm. Um, so I grew up in on the southern suburbs of Sydney, very close to the beach. Um, and so, but, you know, I can't, I don't think I can claim I was ever a surfie. Uh, and I've certainly <laughs> um, watched a lot of surfing over the years. But Albie Fazen is, is a, quite the legend. He is somebody who, um, he produced the first, the, the Morning of the Earth um, album in the 70s, which, which is a really legendary. And he gave me lots of his time um, talking about surfing and, you know, the healing powers within it, the meditative quality of it, um, what it does to somebody's mood, to their soul. And, and he's quite the philosopher, which I think a lot of surfers actually become if they stick with it long enough. Uh, so I kind of channeled a lot of what um, Albie told me into Rick, the character. 
Because mm. uh, you have Rick telling Allegra that waves are great at washing away the stuff you don't need. Now, there was a girl over the road, Lucinda Lister, who Allegra had always idolised. Why? <laughs> well, Lucinda's a, about, a couple of years older than Allegra. And, um, and you know, when you're 11 and a half, if someone's 13 and a half and they're mm. wearing over-the-knee socks and a bra, you know, that's pretty <laughs> powerful stuff. And, of course, the Lucky Listers, they've got it all. They've got a swimming pool. She's got a bike. She's kind of largely out and about in the neighbourhood when poor Allegra's being called home very early and barely allowed to venture sort of, you know, beyond the, the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lucinda Lister kind of, you know, she's quite the one with the boys too, so she mm-hmm. sort of knows the power of the pout of her pout and the clout of her curves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, you know, Allegra is drawn to her because she seems quite worldly and, you know, as it happens, now, she is. And now that they're, they're both at uh, high school together, of course, uh, Lucinda's two years older. But she asks Allegra to go to be the go-between for her and her boyfriend. But things went wrong. Allegra felt the stress of not only of this major problem, but continually being being the go-between for the three people she loved most. This brings about the climax. But it also means Allegra finds out who she is, her own identity. Suzanne Daniels, do you think this is one of the main themes of your book? I do. I think um, I, I was guided a little bit by Simone de Beauvoir, who, of course, mm. is um, the, the sort of famous, famous feminist um, who, you know, wrote her book, The Second Sex, in the 1940s, I think it was. Uh, it's quite extraordinary. It's quite quite a tomb to get through. But one of the things she talks about is um, self-knowledge and the importance of self-knowledge and that, you know, it won't provide happiness, but it certainly sets the scene to sort of discover, discover you. And I, and I think to go through life without really understanding yourself is, is a difficult thing to do. So... She, Allegra, I I did want, one of my intentions with writing the novel was to have somebody who had a lot of influences beaming down upon her, but ultimately she became her own person. That's an important thing for us all to strive for. Well, I laughed at the way that you gave all these inspirational Simone de Beauvoir quotes. And what did you have them coming out of? (laughs) Oh, so Joy has a little penny tortoise um, who she calls Simone de Beauvoir. Um, so, of course, Joy belonging to Liberty Club and being a women's liber, you know, they really revere Simone. Uh, so, yeah, if you're going to have so, a penny tortoise, you're going to call her Simone de Beauvoir. Absolutely. Now, other children have rites of passage where they can choose. As we, the Jewish religion has its bar mitzvah. Or, and, but Allegra was at a Catholic school, so it was her first communion. And she had some interesting choices well she didn't really get to choose what she wore uh she was going to wear a school uniform but Mathilde made her a beautiful dress and her saint's name she could choose that but it was also grandmother joy who gave her that suggestion i was trying to come up with a not offend Mathilde um not offend joy maybe please both of them and of course you know this is this is the constant state she was in trying to please both grandmothers Joy decided uh, that her name simply must be, you know, her saint's name must be named after um, Saint Liberata, who it's 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 actually 
down there. Um, mm. When you research it, Saint Liberata was the patron saint of women trying to escape difficult marriages. <laughs> And in, in, in the um, efforts to put off um, a persistent suitor, she sprouted a beard overnight. Mm. Um, so with Joy's involvement with the setting up of the refuge, the women's refuge, and, you know, her sort of assisting um, women who found themselves in, living with domestic violence, of course, Saint Liberata was an inspiration for her. You know, she and poor old Allegra ends up with Saint Liberata and she said, look, I really hope I don't, you know, because she's been encouraged to choose the saint she wants to emulate and become <laughs> like. She says, you know, I don't. I hope I don't have to sprout a beard <laughs> overnight. This is humorous at a lot with the, the serious stuff. But at the beginning, I talked about allegro being a musical term, and even in music, the grandmothers have very different likes don't they there's uh, joy who has helen ready going i am woman but then again who who does matilde teach um allegra all about so franz list is matilde's favorite musician mm. and um franz list of course was um not just a, a very well-known hungarian composer but he was he was the first of the um composers and pianists of his time who had the idea with piano recitals of turning the piano around so the audience could actually see mm. the movement of the fingers across the, the keys. And he apparently had this incredible span, hand span, that oh. made him, you know, exceptional with his piano playing. And that was down to the fact that he didn't have the normal webbing connectors between his fingers. So this is all true. I mean, I sort of weave it into the <laughs> story, but, it, but it's all true. So, of course, Franz Liszt, being Hungarian and being such an extraordinary um, pianist, and I listened to a lot of his music in writing this book, and I would often have it playing as I was writing. Um, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. For those that are not familiar with him, I really urge you to listen to his, to his music. Matilde, and and Matilda to the music. Yes, <laughs> yes. So Matilde, you know, is always cooking, of course. And uh, one of the treats that she makes, you know, over and over again is the, is the traditional Hungarian Morello cherry strudel. But she tells Allegra that it must be made with Liszt. And of course, Liszt is an ingredient. He's the musician, mm. so it's he gives the right tempo where the dough has to be thrown a hundred times exactly against the side of the bowl. And I watched lots and lots of YouTube. If you if you look it up, there there is actually there are YouTube videos of Hungarian, you know, traditional Hungarian women making the strudel that way. Oh. I had Franz going while I was, you know, <laughs> acting out the throwing of the dough a hundred times. To, and then I checked with a friend who's with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. She's one of the violinists. If that would in fact provide the right tempo and she I'm sure thought I was quite mad but came back and said yes it would <laughs> so around the time the book was launched last year I gathered my daughters and my cousins and their daughters and we all made that strudel with Franz Liszt and I can tell you it works and uh, and it was a bit of a bit of a triumph the strudel Congratulations. Well, anyway, by the end of the book, Allegra knows who she is. And a lovely quote, I head home feeling thicker than an outline and more solid than a shadow. So
Suzanne Daniels' novel, Allegra in Three Parts, deservedly won the Indie Award for the Best Debut Novel with its warmth and humour of a girl learning about herself and her family and the society she's growing up in. Just one final thing, please, Suzanne. In the acknowledgments, you write of the people who helped you, but also you recommend a book by Noah Lukeman, The First Five Pages. What's that about? So that was a book... Um, someone recommended to me many years ago when I kind of whispered that I would love eventually one day to give it a crack to write a novel. And uh, this person was a friend, um, and but she also happened to be a literary agent. And she said, well, if you're thinking that way, get see if you can get your hands on this book because it basically um, outlines what agents and publishers look for in the first five pages of a manuscript because of you know of course they're inundated with um with manuscripts and have to sift their way through and make decisions as to which ones they back and which they don't so i got that book and i've probably read it i don't know over the years 13 times um and i found it really helpful so i just credit it in the acknowledgements but that friend actually went on to become my agent uh Catherine Drayton so i was very lucky to have her um, because without an agent, I think, you know, it's rare to be able to um, get a publisher these days. And it all worked. You got your debut novel published and you also won the Indie Award. Well, Suzanne Daniel, it was just a delight. Thank you so much for sharing your time, your book and your ideas with us. And I, we've been speaking with Suzanne Daniel about her book, Allegra in Three Parts, published by Pan Macmillan. Thank you very much, Suzanne. Thank you, Jan. You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR.